Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed Him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and the director of Spearwatch Ministries, a Christian outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. Our podcast is called Where Are We Going? People ask that kind of question these days more and more in our conflicted and confusing and volcanic times. Increasingly, we are bewildered and wondering at where things really are heading. Well, we've not touched on our take on many current events or hot-button issues, but as we've always asserted, Scripture provides for us the clearest answers for such questions. You can trust the Bible. And in its pages, we read that Jesus said definitively when asked of his disciples that kind of question that we should all take heed, he said, that no one deceive you. So Spearwatch Ministries has been contending for the truth about where we are going since 1993, and I'm thankful to have the privilege of bringing what insight we can bear to it. Uh, we offer biblical perspectives on our deceptive times of trouble, and uh, these are perspectives you just won't find anywhere else. And we want to welcome all of our new listeners from Amazon and Google and Spotify, and we thank you for stopping by, and we hope you bookmark us and return again next week when we release our next podcast each Saturday at midnight. It's easy to find us on the internet at our spiritwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spiritwatch Ministries. Links to them will be on our homepage and on our Facebook page for, er, for uh, easy access <laughs> with a couple of mouse clicks. So bookmark us and share the links with your friends, your family, uh, your garbage men, uh, your construction crew. <laughs> Just help us build our audience. Uh, we'd love to see more people here about our work here. We analyze what scripture says about deception and how it's a sign of the end of the world as well as the power of deception as magnified through constitutionally protected and yet religiously abusive groups popularly called cults here in the United States. On today's podcast, we want to begin an exclusive expose on another controversial movement that has been contributing to the spiritual confusion of the Midwestern community it currently flourishes in. Well known there, this movement is almost completely unknown anywhere else. And as always, it's a tragic story of good people in an evil situation, of love twisted by deceit, of the ecstasy of fellowship, and the agony of bullying. In short, it's a cautionary tale of how there are still those who lie and wait to deceive in the name of God. Those who boldly come off as champions of truth and draw so many to follow a path to hell in this world and possibly the next if they don't heed the warnings that we and others have tried to offer. You see, when you speak of such groups as cults being in our very midst, it tends to confuse a lot of people with a sensationalism that clouds perception. 
Many assume that cults assemble in secrecy and well-hidden compounds uh, in some wilderness stronghold where they cavort with demonic forces, they sacrifice children, uh, they uh, wear some kind of robes, paint and feathers, and they howl under the moon. Well, as the great French philosopher Pepe Le Pew once said, au contraire, they are embedded in our society everywhere and are your friends, they're your neighbors, maybe even your family. They are the barrister at the coffee house and the realtor with an office in town. They are intelligent, idealistic, and sharp people with families and interests just like you. Cult members are quite ordinary people who just so had me in the bodge of a quite extraordinary cultic mind control that ties them to their chosen gathering. And unfortunately, that's something that's all too ordinary in our world as we've been sharing in our podcasts. Due to our ongoing exposés on the Remnant Fellowship and Xenos cults that have kept us really preoccupied since the podcast started in 2021, uh, we've not really been able to focus on this movement properly and give it the attention that discernment requires. But that's ending today, for we think it's high time for the spotlight to be turned upon their activity. Much smaller than either the Remnant Fellowship or Xenos Dwell movement cults, it presents itself as just another band of humble and committed Christians out doing God's work, with a membership not much bigger than the size of the average small evangelical church. But it is vital to understand that they are easily as dangerous and deceptive and destructive as either of these two larger cults. If there's anything I've learned after almost 40 years of ministry to those impacted by cultism in our fallen planet, it is this. When it comes to gauging the spiritual toxicity of any questionable movement, one thing is certain. Where there is smoke, there is always fire. And that is the story of the Ohio-based cultic movement we've come to discuss. Over the years, they've been known in their hometown of Marymount as the community, the Gladstone community, the Gladstone Community Church, and now as their latest rebranding as the Madison Place Community Church. The movement was founded by one Zach Kijinsky, a young, dreamy visionary whose charmingly appealing manner comes with a pragmatic drive for organizing followings among his peers. And this is a pension we'll be discussing in detail more as our podcasts go on. Gladstone began actually as part of a Bible study that Zach and others organized in 2007 as they attended a largely evangelical charismatic vineyard church in the area. Uh, out of their enthusiastic zeal, cunningly channeled by Zach's domineering influence from its very beginnings, they began what they called the community. That would eventually become registered as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, church congregation. A group of young men, women, and young families who have chosen to live together in homes owned by the church in a clearly communal sense. Men live together in some of these in, in segregated uh, homes, while women in others. Some of the families involved have their own homes. Originally studying and worshiping in their own house church gatherings, the vibrant energy and example would then draw the attention and support of at least two other mainstream churches in the area, the North Star Vineyard Church and the well-known Marymount Community Church there as well. They lent their facilities and moral support and funding to the community's work in its early days. And, and this work involved creative ways in which they evangelized, reached out to young men and women, and, and, and did all they could to engage the, their community with what they called the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Reaching out as well to those with substance abuse and, and also seeking what they could to support mission movements such as the Voice of the Martyrs. Now, as they did that, uh, seeing such zeal among young adults uh, was something that would certainly hearten any pastor or church leader in a decidedly post-Christian and colorfully secular, secularizing world such as ours. So, it's quite understandable that these shining faces and energy was most encouraging to these churches. So that's what led them to offer support to this new band of young Christians who were seemingly caught up in their freely offered and, how, and heartfelt espousals of love for God via membership in the community reaching out to help people. Uh, buoyed by this initially supportive reception, they found the community would come to be called the Gladstone Community because of the floor plan of the home that Zach and others lived in, which is one of the old Gladstone house designs that the ancient Sears and Roebuck merchandising group once offered as designs for package sale, down to the nails and hammers needed for assembly. The Gladstone house was quickly just the first of many other home purchases, largely on or near Grace Avenue in Columbia Township near Marymount and Madisonville. Their living arrangement is empowered by their written covenants to share with one another to remain in that group and adhere to what they call a common purse style of uh, support where all property is shared and all earnings from a secular employment are pooled into a financial fund that distributes back to members a rather paltry $100 monthly stipend while making sure their food, shelter, and other necessities down to even pants, socks, and personal computers would be supplied by the economic collective. Income from Gladstone-owned businesses as well as the paychecks of Gladstone members whose covenants mandate direct deposits to the Common Purse Funding Arrangement are what energize the community, which lives, works, and plays together in a tightly organized daily living, uh, where nightly Bible studies, fellowships, get-togethers, and outreaches, uh, fun time, running around, hanging out, are also interlinked by the more serious and more prosaic things such as counseling, prayer meetings, and, and get-togethers to help people uh, get over their, their individual issues. And, and, and these sort of ties are what drew them ever closer. An old Melanie song once described this kind of universal connection in this way. He was so close, there was no room. He bled inside each other. As one investigative writer once described them in a 2016 article, it's Cincinnati's own height Ashbury of radical Christianity. And while their idealistic desire is to live together in a close-knit community of faith, just as the first century Christians did, as described in the New Testament, even as they pose as this harmless band of gentle, loving people, their actual practice uh, is that of a highly manipulative social control that they use to impose upon others as directed by their leading elders. It's no different from the, that which goes on in modern cults today. We were asked to look into this movement about the same time we started to investigate the Xenos cultism. And quite frankly, we weren't surprised to hear these initial claims of, of extremism among Gladstone's uh, high-handed control because they sounded exactly like those we began to recognize within Xenos Dwell itself and something that we've long observed 
in movements like the Remnant Fellowship, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormonism. For the indoctrination, using the community's relational intimacy to radically compel compliance with their beliefs is a harsh reality that daily goes on at all levels of Gladstone's activity. And while they embrace this veneer of Christian orthodoxy and publicly claim to be Bible-believing Christians whose compelling presence stirs jealousy and envy among the dead churches, so they say, uh, that they, they claim they've risen above, they're hardly unique. Gladstone's activity is yet another cult hidden in plain sight, a tired old adage that finds new life every time such groups as are actually discerned. One walks on dangerous ground when shiny-eyed people approach you, raptly singing and quoting the Bible and inviting you to visit their fellowship, and you uncritically accept their public image as the only substance to their claims. You see, one can't say they are serving a community for the love of God while hating the men and women outside it, and, and particularly despising those who seem to miss their standards within it, speaking evilly of them while hypocritically smiling at them to assure them how much you care for them. You cannot say you want to uplift and serve humanity if your underlying purpose of life is to actually consolidate your unrelenting authority and power over a group of people you've taught to not question it. Such movements are what Jesus Christ warned of when he spoke of false prophets who seek audiences in sheep's clothing, but who are inwardly what he called ravenous wolves in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Such wolves target the flocks of the Christian church incessantly with their cunning wiles. The New Testament is full of such examples of dangerously warped spiritual communities, as well as the warnings of the apostles about their deceptive ways. The Apostle Paul's passionate and cautionary private talk with the Christian elders of the ancient church in Ephesus is one such episode. Therefore, Paul said, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Well, I don't mind telling you how broken a heart I, I also share with Paul here. Those of us here at Spirit Watch Ministries and, and other scattered ministries uh, around the world who, whose work to expose cults, we, we cannot help but feel the same way. Our hearts are weighed down by this terrible weight upon us to have to raise the alarms and wave the banners of warning about cultism in some corner of our fallen world. This isn't a quest for intellectual argumentation or sociological analysis. We work hard to create these podcasts uh, to base them on factual reality and not hysteria or, or intellectual argument. This is indeed the way it is, what we're about to tell you, what we're about to share. And what we've been doing has been nothing less than this, to warn people of that very fact that we repeat again, that when there is smoke, there usually is fire. Zach Kajinsky's creation of what Gladstone loves to call their found family now reflects the seriously grotesque descent 
into elitist authoritarianism that all leaders of cults embrace in one way or another. The character of the movement today is not how it started out, it seems, however. It's progress from Bible study to house church, calling itself the Gladstone Community Church, as it consolidated its recruiting gains, now presently corporately positions itself there in its community as the Madison Place Community Church. It changed its name about the same time that a 2016 article in the Cincinnati Magazine first broke the news of its existence and questionable activities. Uh, we'll be sharing and actually have been sharing links to this article on our blog and Facebook page so you can click on there to read it. But at the heart of the Gladstone community is the puppet mastery of Zach and his small cadre of elders who have successfully maintained a lifestyle all their own within that communal network that's actually doing quite well for themselves. Uh, for now, however, further discussions of Gladstone's origins will be held later. We want to now provide for you the insight that a survivor who left the movement will provide for us on what life is like in these present days. Scott, thank you for coming on the uh, virtual studio today or Spirit Watch Ministries. I, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you and I, you're, you're a very disciplined man and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, visit with us today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, I appreciate your help today. and I know you've got a you know, a rather sensitive but very personal thing, uh, Reverie. I, I, I feel you, you uh, I've, I've offered to share about your time in, in um, a place uh, unlike a lot of others. You know, it was known as a community several years back when it first got started. It was called the Gladstone Community. And just a few years ago, it became the Madison Place Community Church. It's located in the village of Marymount. Marymount? How do you say that? I think that's right. Marymount? Marymount. Marymount, okay. It's just east of Cincinnati. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a planned community and it's got civic charm and it's a very quaint and very, very beautiful place. Uh, it's got, and, and its progress and its uh, beauty are a perfect refuge for Gladstone to thrive in, unfortunately, because it just looks so much the part. Uh, how many people are, are a part of uh, Gladstone? Oh, yeah. and I, and I'd say probably around I don't know, probably around 50 when I was in, but as I understand, it's grown pretty, um, grown pretty rapidly. So I'm not sure currently. Okay. Uh, number of people. Okay. That's fine. I, I've seen some group pictures of them, which is certainly a lot bigger than 50, at least a hundred strong or thereabouts. So, uh, but, uh, but then again, that's, uh, that's anecdotal evidence, but it, it clearly has grown from what I understand. And, uh, so maybe you can, we could just, uh, maybe, maybe you can just share with us a little bit about, about yourself. You know, um, how, how did you come know about them and, and what were you doing at the time? And, uh, and uh, how did you get involved with, with, with Gladstone? Sure. Um, at the time <clears throat> I had just moved back to Cincinnati from, uh, Fort Myers, Florida. Um, I currently am back in Fort Myers, Florida now, but at the time it was 2012. I had moved back from Fort Myers, Florida to Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I had lived in Cincinnati previously, but left um, Cincinnati to take a job in Fort Myers. Um, moved back after a year, back to Cincinnati, and took a position with Mercy Hospital in Cincinnati mm-hmm. as, an I, as an IT programmer. Um, and at the time, I was returning to Cincinnati, thinking that I was going to get back with my ex and then when I got back um, they had already started dating somebody else <laughs> so that oh, didn't work oh, that, uh, yeah. 
Uh, but we shared a lot of the same friends and the same crowd. So when I came back to Cincinnati, I really didn't have anything to come back to. And I was pretty uh, vulnerable in a vulnerable place. Um, and I frequented a gym um, in the area. It was there every morning. And there were the two guys that always struck up conversation with me. Um, and they actually asked me to, if I wanted to come to their Bible study. And I was kind of like, yeah. You know, I had been away from the church a bit, um, but I was open to it. And since I had no real community again and I was starting from scratch, I'm like, this might be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was going to their uh, Tuesday night, I'm sorry, Thursday night Bible studies, which at this time were held in the house, uh, uh, the Gladstone house, which was a greenhouse, um, uh, Grace Avenue, incidentally. So... (laughs) uh, (laughs) And it was just unlike anything I had ever seen. These people, they just, uh, usually when you're the new person at a church, you're kind of, you know, you're not, you're, you're welcome, but it, people just, you know, let you do your thing until you get your groove. And this was totally different. They like immediately, people would just come out of their way to talk to me and come out of their way to tell me how much that they loved and cared for me and, go out of their way to pray with me. And it was unlike anything I experienced before in my life. Mm. Uh, and it just became a place that I guess, you know, I was there every Thursday night and on the weekends I would, um, if I was available, I would just like, you know, spend the weekend there and sleep on a couch to be with these people. And I'd go to their church services on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's basically how I got in uh, as far as living with the community. I don't know if you want me to get that far into the story. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, whatever you'd like to share. I mean, it sounded like a very communal, very immersive place. It was, uh, you know, it was a very, very close-knit group of people, wasn't it? That seemed very, very caring, very benign, very uplifting. I mean, that's what I understand it was. Definitely. And I had... Uh, uh, it was probably around April, May, probably around May 2012 when I started showing up. And, uh, you know, um, something that had come up in conversation with, I'm not going to use full names here, but sure. I'll the current elders of the church, uh, um, I'll just give you his initial. He was, uh, the guy who I had met at the gym and we mm-hmm. were very close friends and he just went out of his way to spend time with me and he, uh, I talked about, you know, what, what does it look like to, to move in? Um, this is around July of 2012. Mm-hmm. And so a, within a few months, I was, I was seriously looking at moving in and he had explained to me, uh, um, what it took, which was like, Hey, um, there's this thing we call common purse, which was totally, you know, a new term that I'd never heard before growing up at church. Mm-hmm. Uh, common purse explained it was, um, uh, pretty much, all of your income is given to that community, the church. Um, your bills are paid for from that, and then you get a small stipend uh, spend amount, like $100 a month is given back to you. Um, and that is for your gas um, and for any fellowship you might have, like going out to eat for the month. Um, but your food and your lodging was taken care of as part of, you know, being part of the community as well as your bills were paid out of that. Right. Uh, now, was this and, the only community there? Or was it just a group of men? Or I, from what I understand, there were 
from what Zach, uh, the, the leader of, uh, of Gladstone, Zach, I mean, there has to be a leader to any movement. I believe his gentleman's name is Zachary Kaczynski, is how it said? Correct. Yeah, uh, Corey Foy, he, he wrote back, uh, in 2014, he wrote, he said that they began in 2007 as a small group of young men who were living in an apartment together in Marimonts, and that he, he pretty much, you pretty much corroborate what he's saying here, that we mentioned that we're all part of a Bible study and that we're challenged, uh, in wanting to live, really live our Christian faith as fully as we could. So they committed to study, to prayer, to challenge, and essentially community. And he said, as time went on, dozens of men and women joined us. How did that work out? From what I understand is, uh, several other houses, uh, actually, uh, you know, maintained by, by Gladstone as, as a community of people living in different places. Is that correct? Correct. So there would be like men's houses and women's houses. Um, there were a couple of families that had their own houses. Um, at the time, I believe there were two or three married couples with children. That had their, uh, that had houses as well. Um, what it was is they would buy these houses that were kind of run down at a ridiculous rate, right? Um, uh-huh. and then they would use the community, the workforce within the community, the manpower in the community to flip these houses into, you know, really nice homes. But it was like two bedroom homes, right? And there were eight guys. Or eight girls to a, a house. So really? You're doing the math. That's four guys to a bedroom and bunk beds with one closet. Um, I can't imagine how the girls did it, but, <laughs> um, and usually one bathroom, right? So wow. uh, you really didn't get, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't think of any house that, I think Gladstone, the Gladstone house actually had two bathrooms, but, uh, the one that Zach lived in, incidentally. Okay. <laughs> But I would say at the time that I was there, probably about, I'd say, eight houses going. Uh, they had probably about three female houses and five male houses. I may be wrong on the numbers there. Okay. That yeah, was like eight eight guys to a house. Two okay. Bedrooms. So this uh, wasn't an issue where a bunch of men were all living together. Obviously, I think they're, they're fairly felt a certain propriety and keeping right, the right. sexes uh, uh, distinct, separate, yeah. Yeah, so that was kept separate, and um, yeah, I mean, it, at the time, you know, that that love bombing that I've learned that word since that occurred when I first came in, it just felt like the natural next step. Hey, these people are my family now. I want to be around them twenty four seven. I want to help them in any way possible. Because mm-hmm. I was actually, you know, I worked at Mercy Hospital. I was pulling in. Um, pretty close to, you know, 90, 95 a year. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I could really, you know, help these people out. And in return, I get this, you know, this friendship and this love. Um, and I probably could have kept coming around as, as a casual visitor because there were people that did that. You know, there were people that showed up on Thursday night for services and went to their, back to their homes and went mm-hmm. back to their job. Um, that weren't living in the community, but they seem to not, you know, be as well connected because you're not around these people 24 seven. Yeah. 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 So what was that like? I mean, when you moved in with, you moved in with them and started living by, uh, apparently a community rule, a standard of some sort. Uh, you mentioned common purse as being kind of the financial arrangement of that, but, but what other distinctive things that they, 
really, I mean, I mean, how did, how did they work out community living together? Uh, how they do that? So, I mean, the, uh, they had like the prayer room in the basement of the Gladstone house where you would all sign up for shifts for that. And it was kind of like expected, um, where there would always be someone there praying 24 seven. Um, they would, you know, have different houses would host dinners with, you know, host a different house for dinner. And that would be a big deal. Like, Oh, we're going to have this house over tonight. Um, and that was most of the socializing was done within the community. So it was really unheard of to be like, well, I'm going to go hang out with my parents who live in Mason tonight. You know, that wasn't something really. That's what you're going to do once in a while that would happen. But most of the socializing was done with one another. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you did something outside of the community, like if I had a work function I had to go to, as far as like a retirement party or something like that, it would be expected that I would take somebody with me from the community. Uh, Sort of. And they would say, well, that's because Jesus never sent his disciples out by themselves. You know, they would use that. Um, I do remember my grandmother passing away and them having me bring somebody from the community driving all the way from Cincinnati to upper Michigan. Um, at home. And so I'm dragging this person that my family has never met to a funeral, you know, someone he doesn't even know. Uh, so it's kind of weird, you know, yeah. that, hey, our son's showing up to my, his, you know, his grandma's funeral. We've never seen this other guy. And I just said, you know, oh, he's just a friend from church. You know, I didn't really say, oh, it's, it, it's, I was required to do this. Right. And I didn't really question, hey, you know, I'm good friends with this guy. We're going to take a road trip. Right. You know. Did you, but were there times you might have felt that maybe this, this guy was there for less to do with fellowship, you know, as nice as it was for Dave to be with you? Uh, was it more like perhaps a, an, an instance of surveillance, of monitoring you, of, of keeping you in check and making sure you didn't uh, do something that would violate uh, their rules? Uh, is that what it kind of, that's what it kind of sounded like. I mean, why would they do that otherwise? I mean, it didn't occur to me at the time looking back now. I'm like, yeah. You know, they were afraid probably because I was new that if my family got maybe be alone and talk some sense into me, <laughs> that I might change my mind. Uh-huh. But it wasn't a time that we were, you know, uh, he was always there with me. Yeah. I would never have own time with the family. And if he was um, not in the same room with me, he'd be making friends with my family, you know, other family yeah. members, everybody, yeah. you know. Great because you know it's a spiritually mature guy that's hanging out with my son and helping him with a spiritual walk. Right. Um, so yeah. But was he about your age or was he younger? I was a little younger. Like I, yeah, I went in. I was pretty old. <laughs> I was pretty old for going into Gladstone, right? I was twenty twelve, so I was thirty eight um, at that time. And usually, people coming into the Gladstone community are coming like right out of uh, college or right out of high school. Um, so I was considered a little older, but that didn't seem to yeah. make a difference. Yeah. So, this, so this young man that went with you was basically a young man. Yeah, he wasn't as quite as, I mean, I'm not calling you aged, but he definitely it was certainly a lot younger than you, and he was purportedly there to keep you in line as a spiritual head of some sort. Right. He's about, I think he's like 26. Yeah. Yeah, right. Definitely less uh, life experience than you, for sure. But, yes, definitely. But, definitely. 
But that, that doesn't seem to be uh, too much of a problem in a place like Glassdome, because from what I was saying, you know, this kind of, of, um, of, uh, of, uh, monitoring, this kind of, um, of surveillance, for lack of a better word, uh, just seems to be part of what it, what it is to live in a communal setting where, where you're not allowed really to really be yourself in, in, this, in the sense that you have an, an, an individuality and an autonomy yeah. where you can live and make your own choices, live by your own conscience. Um, they really want you towing a line there. And um, it sounds like something that, that, that they really, that uh, Zach and the others seem to feel is very important to maintain. Yeah, and then, then and that were, actually brings me to a, something I actually remembered the other night. Um, I used to train in uh, mixed martial arts. I was I was a um, combat medic in the military, and after the military, I had a lot of aggression, and <laughs> sure. so I martial arts a bit, and so that was a lot of my identity, right? A lot of my T-shirts, a lot of my clothing reflected that, reflected that, and the whole you know UFC persona, and I had a couple fights under my belt. And 2012. So a lot of my t-shirts had stuff like that on there. Mm-hmm. Like Moy- and, um, I remember coming back from work one day to my room and there were a bunch of like colored t-shirts on my bed that had no design on them. And they said, isn't this great? The sisters bought you these t-shirts. Um, and my other t-shirts could, were, I could not find. Well, it was something a little subtle like that. It was like um, a little piece of control that kind of I did a little freak out check in my head at that time. But then I thought, okay, I get, you know, I kind of get why they're doing this. They kind of want me to. Um, maybe, that I, maybe my identity is, is too aggressive and maybe I need to tone it down, you yeah. know. And this is maybe the next natural step that God wants me to, to calm myself and to appear more loving by just wearing regular colored t-shirts instead of these fight stuff on it. Uh, right. Yeah. And I find ironic to hear that Zach spends many, many hours at nighttime playing, uh, you know, multi, multi-role, uh, fighting in, um, online video games. <laughs> Which I find kind of rather strange, but but these are the kind of of, of closely knit uh, contradictions that are quite normal in a place like Gladstone, and in, in, in any movement quite that. I mean, did you see any other things similar to that that may have made you maybe scratch your head and say, "What's something doesn't quite add up here?" I mean, to me, I think uh, that's that is one thing to to expect you to shed aggression while the leader played games of aggression. It's just kind of very strange. Did you see anything else like that there? Um, there was an instance where I was uh, still keeping in contact with my ex, and I would go out to dinner, um, and they basically told me I would have to stop talking to that person. Uh-huh. Um, and this was uh, 2013, 2014. Um, and it was innocent, you know. I wasn't like... You know, it was just friends hanging. Um, and we would just catch dinner once in a while. And I remember them wanting me to write this, this email and sending it. So I did it because, you know, I thought that's what God would want me to do. 
Yeah. And I remember. Uh, yeah. I remember it like ripping my heart up. Yeah. Uh, and them not understanding why I was like in tears for like a whole day over it. Yeah. You know, them not understanding why that ending this, this relationship, this friendship, why it meant, you know, that much to me. Them looking at me like, I don't understand that. Um, and I remember that, that's something that sticks out in my head. I was really, and I did it because that's what I thought that God would want me to do because it was coming, you know, directly from them. It was anytime they told you something that was challenging, it was like, if you don't follow this, you're not following God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it certainly, again, sounds like exactly the sort of thing that these groups do. I mean, and, and Gladstone, unfortunately, is, is what we're learning, what we've come to learn is just that kind of place. I mean, now, he also, Zach also wrote that, that he said, uh, when the Glassnell community began, we were still attending a congregation in Loveland. Uh, but in 2010, we were blessed by the church leadership to become a church fellowship all our own with our own leadership. To this day, we share a relationship with that congregation as well as many others, particularly Marymount Community Church, where we minister together, often worship together, and most importantly, have deep personal friendships. Uh, leadership is shared by many in the community. And about the time I believe you came into the, into the community, um, was about the time that they were probably at, at the most closest approach with the Marymount Church there. Um, so, you know, it seems to me that uh, the community could not have gotten off the ground without the kind of uh, basic, basic, you know, the subsidizing they basically took from not one but two churches uh, in that area, and, and, and apparently they took their cues from them, um, and, and, and they apparently provided for them a, a lot of help. Did, did you did you see a lot of that there as well? Oh, my, so Marymount Community Church is kind of like this old traditional staple in Marymount, like this big, beautiful building. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of an old, at the time, kind of like an older congregation. And I remember them coming behind uh, Gladstone, kind of, and supporting them, giving them use of the building on um, Thursday nights, moving out of that house in Gladstone to an actual church. Um, and we also always did like dinner prior to church too. So they were, you know, using that space, using the kitchen, um, using all of that. And, um, yeah, just coming behind them and supporting them. I'm not sure. I can't speak to finances. Um, but I can speak to the fact that this big, beautiful church, um, was being, you know, Gladstone had use of that on Thursday night and that kind of really opened it up to, bring it to the mainstream, I would say, because I remember those Thursday night services that used to be like 50 or 60 in the Gladstone house uh, living room <laughs> turned yeah. into like 120, 130 on Thursday nights. At, um, at, at the church, the community church. Correct. Okay. So apparently, uh, they had convinced a lot of people that this really was just a very benign, just simple bunch of, uh, Jesus 
Jesus freaks, for lack of a better word, you know, they really, right. just really wanted to live a community life and a rule uh, based around communal sharing and, and, and the, common, the common purse, as you mentioned. So um, he also goes on to say that mo- much of our time, resources, and energy goes into, and this is from the same document. This is exactly the founder's writing. Much of our time, resources, and energy goes into helping young men and women out of drug addiction, particularly heroin addiction. Or orphan care around the world and support for the suffering church. We believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer the world is looking for, but we realize that for the words to be believed, people must first see in our lives its truth. So we partner with a variety of ministries to help us do this work, such as back-to-back ministries, Teen Challenge Cincinnati, Voice of the Martyrs, to name a few. So from that, is, you know, in keeping what you, you were just mentioning, about the young people, it sounds like Gladstone devotes a lot of its energy among the young and impressionable and those in recovery and needing structure in their life. Uh, so, so that seems to be like a, like a foundational uh, point of growth for them, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you had people that were coming in off the streets um, that were had nowhere else to go, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and really didn't have an option, basically, whether to recover or leave. Um, and they received the same love bombing that I received. And I know for a fact they, I don't know if they still do this, um, ran what they called the Lazarus Rooms uh, ministry out of um, one of the houses there where they had a house or a room that was specifically set aside for detox. Um, where they would lock up the person's keys in the wallet um, and just leave them in that room to detox. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I heard about that. I heard that, that this was something that had been ongoing for some time. I don't know if it's still going on. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I do know that there's yeah, – I was one of the only medical staff there, and I did not have involvement in that because that after I left. Right? So you have somebody who's dependent upon heroin locked up in a room. Um, without medical care. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and that does speak to some of the other, and I might be digressing here a bit, some of the other, other unsafe practices. Um, after, in 2015, I actually joined the work crew um, and started doing the work crew instead of hospital work. And there was several times where we were scraping lead paint um, off of old houses. You know, we had some masks and things like that, but there were times like I had a wheelbarrow uh, full of bricks tipped over on my leg more than once. Um, I was ran over a few times by wheelbarrows full of cement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rebar. Uh, and so there was like some really... You know, you have kids working in construction, basically, right? So, really unsafe conditions, and I'm not sure. And we have power tools, you know, table saws, all that stuff. Um, and I'm not sure the regulation that was around that as far as OSHA. Pretty sure it wasn't. Um, I never saw anything regarding to that. But it was very unsafe work conditions. Um, I ended up, we had four men on the work crew that all ended up with MRSA. Um, who are all on the work crew 
and me being uh, previously a combat medic um, would make my rounds at night before going to bed to drain the uh, to drain the abscess sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, bandage them up. You know, I was playing more medic again. Um, because most of these people, you know, they're working for the community. They don't have, we don't, they don't have health insurance. Well, why didn't they, uh, well, did, well, with a common purse, why, why couldn't they get uh, medical care? Right. I mean, I ended up taking <laughs> one guy here once because he had, his abscess got bad. Um, and he, they ended up giving him, um, some antibiotics that he ended up being allergic to. Right. So mm. his rash all over his body and the elders of the church approach him and ask what unmanifest thing he had. Um, cause I was in that room when I was like treating him and they all come in and they're like, you know, so they kind of pointed to his sin rather than, Hey, he was prescribed something that he's allergic to, you know. They said the allergic reaction was a sign of sin. They didn't know what the reaction was. They just assumed that he had broken out in these hives because there were, he had some unconfessed sin. That was what was asked oh by the church. Wow. And these are work crews set up for part of the businesses that uh, that the community ran. Correct. Correct. So okay. They, so, uh, so they actually started businesses now, so they've got actually a pretty strong, uh, fine, um, um, economic element there in the community. Right. They had a catering business. Now they have a coffee shop, um, which I, I think it's just called the Madison Place or something. It's right across the church. Um, they had a lawn service called Handy Lawn Guys and uh, Handy Home Guys, which was, um, home repair. And then they had the, work crew, which actually worked within the community on the current houses. Um, wow. So these are licensed businesses, uh, supposedly with business licenses, supposedly being having some manner of regulation, but but allowing all these unsafe work practices to go on all around in the community. Correct. Wow. I mean, I speak to the injuries I saw in my injuries. I'm sure there were more. You know, I've been gone since 2015. Um, but, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's I mean, and it makes you wonder, like, well, well, why would you want to drive people in that way? Why, why, why did I want they want to be careful? And I mean, I guess the principle of work is just really important in a place like like Gladstone. I mean, where they really feel like uh, to prove your worth, uh, that you just really need to be just really at hard labor almost, uh, and, and 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 even if the unsafe, even if the practices are unsafe. And unsanitary. Yeah, we had uh, six working days. So it wasn't like, like if I worked five days in my regular job when I was still working for Mercy Health, I would have to work Saturday um, because that was biblical. Yeah. So Right, yeah. right, right. So they really – and so no one – no one said anything. They just went along with it. And what, if, what happened if somebody, you know, started – getting lippy about it or started complaining, what was what would have been the reaction or what was the reaction? Did you see anything like that? I mean, I mean, it's, it's a pretty tough thing to be doing, to be driving people while they're sick to work and get injured and stuff like that. Was, was there yeah. any, any problem with the, with the workforce there? I didn't really see too much rebuttal. I seen people that got booty once in a while, um, but they just would get a talking to. I'm not sure exactly what was said. 
um, and they would step back in line, you know. Um, hmm. We had you guys that, you know, had bipolar issues um, who would have bad days, and they would put them on more of a menial chore, um, but they never, like, you really couldn't, the only way you could get out of work crew was to be sick and to really be sick, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't really see anyone storm off and say they wouldn't do something, right? Because right. there was the mentality. I mean, you were already whipped if you were there. <laughs> for right. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, well, you're right. I mean, it sounds like you already were of the right frame and right mindset that, um, well, you know, everything you're doing is a spiritual exercise for God, and you really it's just part of supporting this 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 uh, community, and you need to be a part of doing that. It's just in obedience to what Jesus has said. Now, that, that leads to some of the some of the other teachings that that sets them apart. You know, you know, they seem to have this rather harmless public evangelical dogma, but they practice some really hidden forms of doctrine that are powerful forms of spiritual domination. You mentioned common purse. I remember in a, in a, in a, in a past conversation, you mentioned a specific term that has a lot of, has a lot of weight in it in Gladstone. It's what's called the work for community. Could you maybe a little share on that? The, um, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? The work for community? The work, uh, there was a term called work, for, working for the community. In, in which there was a discussion of how you need to be working for that community. And that's, I think, that's what we're talking about, uh, the very thing. Do you, do you remember that, that, that we had a discussion about that some time back, about uh, how they how there was this compulsion, as you just mentioned, that, of, that you needed to be out working and laboring to make sure the community supported. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like six days a week, Sunday, you could rest, but your Sunday was not like you couldn't just lay in bed. You needed to do that with like fellowship and intention. Um, yeah. Yeah. and like if I was working outside of the community, so I'm doing my five days a week, I'd have to work the sixth day, but also I could not have more than, um, one day a year vacation, one vacation a year. That's what it was. Um, even if I was offered, you know, PTO for two weeks for my job plus paid holidays, which I was. So those paid holidays, if they weren't considered holidays in the community, were work days. Yeah. So if let's say I got off President's Day because my I worked for Mercy Health, they gave us everything off. Um, then I was working in community on President's Day. You know, yeah. if it, like um, if I got you know Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas off, I was working. Yeah. You know. Christmas Eve and the day after Christmas, if I was there, you know, and not um, So, April was just, just slaving along. What, what, what was Zach and the elders, what were they doing during all this? Were they all sharing that same load? Were they basically uh, out there painting and, and you, know, you know, and cleaning up garbage like everybody else? Or what were they doing? Uh, Zach uh, didn't get his hands dirty that much. He walked around a lot. Um, would walk around and kind of get, hey, uh, you know, what's going on. He would make his rounds, but I've never really seen him sweat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> elders yeah. was, was in charge of the work crew and he worked hard, you know. Um, there were a couple of those elders that worked hard and then you had some that were administrative, you know, and they did their thing. Um, but then there were others that 
words like Zach, where they just walked around and talked or, you know, they didn't really have the calluses on their hands. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, the, but what they would do is they would be really good about having Bible studies and making sure that you were there to hear them talk and preach and do all their thing, right? Oh yeah, they're great at that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Every, everybody's gotta have an audience. That's the truth, you know? It's like, it's like they say in, uh, like, uh, in George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, where the animals, um, uh, the animals, uh, if you remember the story, it's a, it's a story about, uh, it's a, it's a fairy tale, of course, but it's written by the great uh, English novelist who wrote, wrote this story about animals who rebelled and, and expelled their, far, their oppressive farmer and created their own little society, uh, in which everyone would be equal and everyone would be, would be together and, and increasingly throughout the whole book, things just get worse and worse. It, it becomes more and more extreme. The leaders, uh, the pigs become the leaders and, and ultimately become authoritarian and driving. And they would paint rules uh, on the side of the barn, which were supposedly explaining what, what they really were about. And one of the rules was at the, at the start of the community was that, that all animals are equal. And, and then later on, as, as things get really bad and more intense, um, one morning they, uh, they woke up, the animals woke up to find that, that the rule had been added to. And, and they always, they always would wonder if it was just them just not remembering that, that, that they had missed this part of it. But they woke yeah. up to find it saying, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Correct. And that certainly sounds like, like, like the kind of top-down leadership that's there in Gladstone because, uh, it sounds really like no one's, if no one's able to, to question what they're doing, they just have to slave away. Um, what, what, what are they getting out of it? What, why would people stay in something like that? Uh, Scott, explain it to me. Uh, why, why did you stay? Well, I, you know, I stayed because I had that sense of, my father passed in 2014. Um, and I, you know, these people were my family, right? Um, and I believe that I was doing what God wanted me to do. Yeah. And to, you know, I had, there like two, there were a couple times where I left and came back. Um, one was the same day. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And one was, you know, there was a couple of months in between where I came back. And part of that was because I did have issues with alcohol. Um, and a lot of, that's why I stayed, because I stayed sober when I was in community, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. And I, so I wasn't like the perfect guy in this story. You know, I want that to be clear. Sure. I was a human. Um, but, you know, I didn't use when I was in community, you know. Right. Uh, and didn't have that option. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of why I say, I, like, I, you know, I knew that to, I didn't have the modality today, you know, like going through a 12-step program, getting the support I needed. Community you know, was great for that piece, of, but there was no treatment, right? I was really a person dealing with the substance abuse problem, which was never addressed. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there are the guys who have overcome heroin, um, and their drug addictions, but where 
are we getting the follow through within community? Cause there was nothing to be like, maybe Scott, maybe we should get you to a 12 step program, right? Mm-hmm. That, none of that. You know, mm-hmm. it was prayer is the ultimate fix. Not, mm-hmm. not, you know, you still have to do inner work on yourself. It, you know, you can't, you can't just pray the drink away. And if I offend anybody, I apologize, but it's true. You have to, you know, go through like your, you know, alcoholism, um, drug addiction. That's the tip of the iceberg. What lays below that, right? Right. Lays, uh, a lot of wreckage that you need to prepare. Right. Uh, and if I just stopped drinking, it was evident because when I left the community, what was I doing, right? Drinking. Mm-hmm. Right. And what they would do in communities, they would, they would say, they would kind of say, well, look at, look at what we are doing. We're changing lives. We're, we're cleaning, we're helping people get clean and get free by the gospel. But, but really in, in the end, it was just a, just a bunch of religious busy work they did to keep you so preoccupied that you would, you would have no time to dwell upon your issues, but just follow along, you know, a well, a well-grooved track. For you to be in and fit in, and and the community, everyone there is is all looking to you to kind of be be uh, to be there for that and be with that plan. And so, uh, but this is, but you you can only go so far with that, can't you? You you can't outrun your demons just no. by by digging ditches six out six days a week, can you? No, I mean, I hope it, the help that you didn't have money, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, Incidentally, the elders do get paid more of a uh, money. Um, so it was a hundred, I believe, for the uh, for if you were not an elder. I think it was like one hundred fifty, two hundred if you were an elder. Um, and if, you know, of course, getting a little more back from your your uh, common purse. Okay. Wow. So, like I said, there are some animals that are more equal than others. It seems. <laughs> um, well, there was a. Well, there, here's here's what's what's so puzzling about about places like that, about Gladstone, and others like that. We've been talking about other groups like Remnant Fellowship and Xenos and uh, Christian Fellowship, so to speak, <laughs> uh, in just up the road there from me in Columbus. They all seem to toe the line and really put out this really. These really squeaky clean image of themselves as these, as these really biblical, you know, biblically founded groups, you know, you know, that, and, and, uh, when we were, you and I were talking in the, in the past about, about this, you'd mentioned that, the, uh, that, you know, you know, Gladstone appears to come off as this really biblical, uh, uh, biblically based church. It, it, they have what they call a true gospel, and they have what. And in order to be, in order to be a, a spreading that true gospel, you have to be a true follower. Do you remember those terms as used and what that really meant? Yeah, I remember that because if you know, I would refer to, I would hear it referred to. Hey, you know, my parents aren't following the true gospel. Not my parents, but people would prefer their parents to that way, right? They're not following the true gospel um, if they were going to another church that Glass didn't agree with, right? Oh, okay. Sounds familiar. <laughs> right. So they would yeah. use theology um, a lot. That would get thrown all around a lot. You know? Okay. It, um, 
So what was a true gospel then? If there, if there, if there were, if there, somebody's parents weren't following the true gospel, what, what was it? Uh, according to Gladstone, I guess they, I guess they have the the right interpretation. What, what, what would that have been? Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe in their eyes, it was basically the true gospel was like complete denial of of self, which financial, and in their eyes was financial and identity. Um, and then you know anything else, and, and, you know, there's little pieces of you know. You know, Jesus himself, if you can't, you know, leave your mother and father and follow me, um, then you don't, I'm going to roughly translate you don't have to play the kingdom. But, I mean, that was kind of an illustration to the, the rich man of what willing, right? Right. He, he was told by Jesus to leave his riches and family and come follow him. That's the, right. that's the, that's from what I understand you're, 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 well, you're getting that, right? Exactly. They're taking that literally, right? And we had a situation, and it was the weirdest thing to me. Like, they called me up on a Saturday morning, and they say, hey, we need to ride with some girls up to um, one of the houses, or not the houses, but up to their parents' house because this girl stayed the night there, and her parents won't let her leave. They, they slashed her tires. Oh, they don't want wow. And they needed a guy with, like, the muscle. I'm, like, six foot 230. And I was practically the, I was the biggest guy in, in community. Most of the guys weren't that big. And, uh, so they told, you know, they drove me up there. Um, I kind of stood like ground around the car until the girl was comfortable enough to leave. And we got the spare on. I drove it to a tire shop and drove that car back while the girls returned. But her parents were so concerned about her involvement that they were, you know, trying to keep her, um, from returning by slashing your tires. Wow. Unbelievable. To me, that was like another kind of, those always like these little things that didn't sit right. It was never one big thing, right? So if it had been one big thing, I probably would, and it ended up being a big thing, right? In the end, why I left. But there were little things that I could kind of be like, oh, she's just making the ultimate sacrifice. Oh, I'm just doing what God wants me to do by breaking off this previous relationship. Right. It bought me pain. I thought, hey, I have to, I have to hurt a bit to grow. Um, but I've mm-hmm. never fallen yeah. in a or where once somebody leaves, they're just this like complete wreckage and trauma associated with it and spiritual trauma. Yeah. Right. You can go to your local church in town and decide you don't like it in a few months and you can leave and you're not, you don't have like PTSD over it. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's happening there, you know? So if something is not right, if this is the result of people who, who are leaving. Um, of those, you know, I'm sure, and from what I understand, you've, you've known quite a few people who, who have left or are trying to leave. Is this a common experience that they have, that they, their interpretation of the gospel according to Zach and the Gladstone is that you have to deny yourself and just become this slaving drone to prove yourself that you're a follower of Jesus, and, and no matter what it takes. And right. everyone's coming out, like you said, just, 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 just verbally pistol whipped and beaten. Is that is that a common thing you're, you're finding along a lot of people? That is a common theme. <sighs> Goodness, it, wow! It took me a while after leaving to call it 
what it was to call. Actually, it took me like, I left in 2015 and I couldn't come to terms with calling it a cult until probably about 2018. Mm. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to believe the best. Um, but I do remember <clears throat> starting to study and read a book regarding, uh, about spiritual abuse and then reading that book. It's like, there was so much in there that I identified with and just crying while I read this book. And I'm like, this is exactly yeah. what happened. And for me, um, my, my, the, I left, um, Thanksgiving 2015. Um, my mom, uh, been diagnosed with cancer. I wanted to go see her for Thanksgiving and I left to go home and they called me, uh, 20 minutes down the road and asked why I didn't ask permission to leave to go see my dad. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, I went home and I came back. And when I came back, there was this, like, my heart, like, detached. I was getting treated differently. Um, and then I was asked by car to the community um, by one of the elders. And I did manage seem like it was like if I chose the other way that I was not once again obeying God um, the idea behind me signing over a car and becoming a community car is I no longer would have ownership and I could not use it when I needed to use it right right there so I fake sick <laughs> I fake sick while everybody was in church and I packed everything up in my car and I left um Right before Christmas 2015. Um, yeah. Wow. And, and you, I mean, I think you would certainly acquire substantial support at this point. I mean, there you are trying to be, you know, a strong man, trying to, you know, be a, be a leader, be a combat, be a medic for them and all that. And you, you already financially given so much to them and they still wanted your car. Yes. Wow. Unbelievable. That's just really incredible. So that was part of it all. That was really the, the, the kind of the moment in which you, you finally realized you just had to get out of there and that was it. You, and from what I understand, you know, not too long before, there was, there was an elder that you, that took you out to dinner and, and, and I guess you were supposed to discuss your reservations, but he didn't be being critical about your, your concerns. Yeah, I basically, I went out to dinner, um, and this was before the whole Thanksgiving thing. Um, and I talked to him openly about my, about the community. And at the time, he acted like he totally understood and understood my concerns and where I'm from. And then a couple of days later, with a couple of the elders in the room with me, they just made the whole story around. I was being obedient. Um, and that I was let Satan run my mind, basically. Wow. Um, and it was not, not having a discussion with them the first time, it seemed like I was having a discussion with a friend. And two days later, it seemed like I was uh, in a firing squad. Wow. And, well, and, and where was Zach? Was Zach ever involved in this, in this kind of punitive treatment of you? Or, I mean, was he the one directing it? Or was it just something the elders took on themselves? 
Um, he might have directed them, but he was not in the room at that time. I never really had like the best <laughs> relationship with Zach. Um, it seemed like everybody had a good connection with him, but I did not. And I never really, you know, a lot of the elder, other elders I had a really good connection with, um, until that moment. But I was really like my, something in my spirit allow me to have that connection with him. Like, I never was. Oh, I can really buy with this guy. Okay. You're breaking up a little bit there. Um, oh. Sorry. Uh, just missed the last couple of this. Could you repeat that again? Oh, my. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, I never really, like, connected with Zach as far as a hard connection. Really, like, I was always uncomfortable around him. Um, but the other elder, you know, I had good friendship and connections with. So him coming into that situation and having that talk with me, I know he probably thought, Hey, that's not going to have an effect on him. It's going to have an effect on people that he's bothered. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So really, you know, like I said, Zach set this, or I mean, it wasn't Zach, but maybe it was. I'm pretty sure it sounds like. So Zach and the others set up this, this hierarchical system where, you know, he had all these guys over to just monitor and, and criticize and, and, and control you to their, to their hearts to, to contend. And you sounded to me like you just had just enough wherewithal to say, you know, hey, I'm out. I've had enough of this. So, and, but it took you so long to get over that. And, um, so, so what, I mean, in what was really, was reading that book or what, what really helped you move beyond uh, the impact and, you know, what, what really helped you to, to really start healing from all this? I mean, I know everyone that leaves a place like that certainly is a, is a work in progress as we all are, but you guys have your own unique, um, just, this this chamber of horror you've had a you've had a struggle with something like this. What's been really helpful to you to to kind of move beyond that? Well, um, I will say I left in 2015, and then I still went back in 2017 because my I still just had that strong connection. I, I like went, went work with one of the work crew like two times in the summer in 2017, and then I was even going back after everything that had happened, because um, my mom had died in 2016, so there was still this, like, rolling, you know, ball of trauma of life happening. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was considering coming back. They uh, were considering taking me back, but it was like, okay, you're going to have to go to Pure Life Ministries first and then come back to us, and I was not. I, I didn't really give them an answer, but I didn't want to do that. Um, so 2018, I guess I kind of just came to that realization where I, another guy had contacted me, um, that left and hooked me up with his pastor counseling with him. So I started there, um, and that was my realization moment, right? That was my realization moment of that, hey, I had been abused and I don't, you know, I don't find myself with that anymore. It's not part of my identity. It was until like about, I'd say last year. If I, um, July of 2021, I really started doing a lot more inner work, um, with 
a therapist where I could start to detach myself from the feelings associated with that trauma because I was letting it be part of my identity with all the other stuff, right? Uh, so right. if you asked who I was, who at that time I would give you like three examples of trauma in my life, ranging from the military to childhood sexual abuse to spiritual abuse. That's who Scott was. Um, so it was kind of a process of working on all of those and detaching mm. my identity from that and realizing the more I detach from those feelings and emotions associated with that trauma, the more I have space and love to help others heal. If mm-hmm. I keep, you know, attaching myself to that old stuff, I'm limiting my usefulness uh, to God and to others. Right. And that was a call for me. Like, I'm not living out my full potential as, right. you know, and you're not really able to come to your own personal peace with yourself, you know, finding your own personal identity apart from that. That's so important in healing, isn't it? To understand that you are more than just scar tissue. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you're, you're loved by God. He, there's healing he does, there's renewal he does. And it takes a lot of work though. It takes a very intentional thing to really apply to yourself to, to really get a hold of. And I'm so yeah. glad to hear that you, you've done that, Scott. And I, I appreciate, uh, I uh, appreciate what you share with us this evening. And uh, as as we close this here, and I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, again, to do this for us this evening. Um, I want to ask you, what would you say to people questioning their involvement with the group? I mean, let's just, let's, let's say maybe as some of your friends from, mm-hmm. from, uh, from there who might be, might somehow, somehow, some way, uh, tune into this on the podcast. Which I think is probably going to happen. We're hoping it will. <laughs> uh, but we really would hope that people can get an alternate perspective of their involvement there. What would you say to them? Uh, what, what kind of personal message or, or encouragement would you want to send along to them? Uh, I would make reference to what I had said earlier, which is does not make sense for when you leave a church to be this traumatized. You know, that's not what, um, that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the true gospel is about that they like to refer to. I would also tell them that I have an extra bedroom if they need somewhere to stay because a lot of people are stuck there, right? They've been giving all their finances. They don't have a family to run back to. Yeah. No, that's the only family that they have. In some cases, they don't have their parents are no longer alive or their parents are no longer speaking to them because of the situation. So they have no choice. And that's right. They have no income. They have no choice. Um, they're getting, you know, food and shelter from the community. So it's pretty much, do I leave this community that is, is damaging my spirit or do I go back on the, you know, do I go on the streets? Yeah. Um, right. I don't know. I wouldn't call it the lesser of two evil before, but sure. I, you know, I'm more than happy to work with them um, to help them through that. Great. Like and so are we. I mean, we certainly are willing to, I mean, we we would love to hear from anyone who, who wants to email us or call us or, or as we, we, we share how to get, get in contact with our, with our own ministry. And it was certainly, we can certainly have them uh, be connected with you and, and, and others because uh, you're, you are certainly not the only person who's left. There are others we're going to be talking to in the future. And other folks who have who 
had similar experiences, uh, for which we've all come to be all too painfully aware. And, um, Scott, I, I really hope and pray at this, that, that we can start seeing the kind of things that, that, that need to be seen and, and as that all these people truly come out and, 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 and reexamine things as, as you said they should. Yep. All right. So, well, Scott, thank you so much for your time this evening. We appreciate that, and we hope to have you back again soon. And right. uh, we're wanting to do a lot more. We intend to do a lot more about Gladstone in, in the future. And this is the first of, of, of several podcasts we want to do. And once again, thank you for the time you've had here today. Uh, any last thoughts? Oh, no. I mean, if you're listening and you're there, I'm not. You know, these, I live this experience. You know, got other people who will talk, they live this experience. But this is not some kind of crazy story we're making up to, to make, you know, somebody look bad. These are truths. These are things that happen. So if you're there and you're getting that twinge in your heart and you're starting to question stuff. Yeah. You know, get out before it's too late. I have no idea. You know, as this ball keeps rolling, as they continue progressing and they continue growing, um, it's, it's not a safe place to be. Um, mm-hmm. so I will. And if you have a friend or family member that is in, um, I mean, do your best to encourage them to listen and to support them if they're willing to, to leave. Right. Don't just tell them to leave and, and not give them a roof over their head or food in their stomach. Absolutely. Do what we've got to follow through. Amen. And that's what it's all about. We, you know, true religion is, is to not, you know, it's to not see as, as as James says, to, to allow, uh, the broken, like such as widows and, and children suffering alone. I mean, we need to be, we need to be true community. A community that doesn't judge, but a community that, that loves, a community that accepts, um, one that, um, doesn't make you turn you into a, into a, a worker drone, um, and drive you until you, until you, until you wear out. I mean, that's not the abundant life Jesus came to give us. And, and Scott, thank you for sharing those thoughts. And we appreciate that this evening. No problem. We trust that our time here with the testimony of Scott is showing that the smolder of Gladstone's cultism long seen and recognized by too many who couldn't quite define it, has become a conflagration that cannot be ignored any longer. This surely has gotten our attention, and to the glory of God and the deliverance of the captives for the uh, sake of the gospel and its abundant life that needs to be shallow within its sunny corridors, we're going to be spending a lot more time here sharing original investigative work that only the stories of other survivors have been able to bring to light. Download us next week and stay tuned as we bring light in at least one dark place among others to where we are going. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. 
We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.